Hey folks, this is Josh coming to you from the editing booth. I just want to let you know that we had some issues specifically with my microphone as I was editing. There were some weird noises in the background. It wasn't really pleasant to listen to, so I had to edit it out and left my audio kind of choppy in some places. Now, back to your regular programming. This episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast is produced by Cake Pie Games. Cake Pie Games, games that are a piece of cake to set up and easy as pie to teach. Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Voyagers, gamers of old, war gamers, Euro gamers, rolling riders, and those who still like Candyland, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so, so good to have you here. We are, you know, deep. I think at this point we're going to be in the new year. I'm still not sure. We tried to make our recording schedule <laughs> release at a good time, but sometimes chaos happens. Either way, this is going to be definitely in the month of January. Welcome to the new year. As always, my name is Josh. With me is my number one co-host and keeper of time. Uh, yeah, I'm Andrew, and uh, this week we have a very special guest. We have Will Meadows from the Tantrum House, also game designer of Steam Court. He's on our show this week, so welcome, Will. Whoa, I don't usually get credit for the game design part. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sometimes I do, do a little bit of research, yeah. just a little tiniest bit. The deep dive. There we go. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We like to go deep here because we're in a submarine. That's our whole motif. So, Will, for those of you who don't, maybe our listeners who don't know what Tantrum House is, or maybe don't know you as a person, who are you? What do you do in the game industry? Yeah, so my name is Will Meadows. My wife, Sarah, and I started Tantrum House. Uh, wow, it's probably been close to a decade ago. It's getting getting way back there. The the long story short version is we got married and were poor and we needed something to entertain ourselves. And so board games it was, uh, especially once we started having a couple of kids. And so it was stay at home and play games while the kids were in bed. And uh, that turned into community game nights where we were inviting friends over and neighbors. And it kind of just grew from there out of control. And uh, at some point, uh, myself and Ryan, a good buddy at the time, uh, designed a board game. We put it on Kickstarter. It failed miserably the first time, but we came back for, with a vengeance and we, uh, <laughs> we got it funded and had a great time with it. That really whet our appetite for just the board gaming industry as a whole. It kind of ignited our passion for helping other creators. And so at Tantrum House, uh, we, we kind of gave up on the self-publishing thing and turned into more of just a media promotion channel where we were helping other Kickstarter creators uh, get coverage for their games and offering them tips and advice and reviewing their Kickstarter pages and things like that. And it's grown over the last seven or eight years, especially uh, to where there are now four couples who are pretty full-time with it. I mean, we all have full-time jobs on the side, the side, I don't know which side we're on. And, uh, but we pretty regularly produce Kickstarter preview videos. We do review videos on our channel. We have a podcast as well. Uh, the Tantrum House Board Gaming Podcast, where we talk about games that are upcoming. And uh, it's really, it's exciting because there are so many games coming out all the time right now that it's hard to get any type of spotlight uh, on your new creation. And so we full time get to look at new stuff that's coming down and uh, play test a lot of things. We also host that community game night still. So we once a month, last Monday of the month, 
have anywhere from 30 to 70 people show up to just play games with us in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where we're located at. And that turned into Tantrum Con uh, Mm -hmm. a couple years back, our official board game convention. So we host a three to four day convention in Charlotte, North Carolina each year. And that's been growing and growing each year. And I think I think maybe some of you guys have been there before. And uh, it's a blast. It's really, really a great time. And we super enjoy being able to give away all the games that we've been given throughout the course of the year, play lots of games. We have some really fun events there that are pretty unique, I think. And uh, it is coming up. So the planning is underway. Badges are on sale. We're doing all the behind the scenes stuff, trying to put it together. So we're excited. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, you are very, very busy with all sorts of things. And uh, congratulations on all you've accomplished. I guess uh, your podcast is on episode 240-something, so you've been doing that for quite a while. That's pretty awesome. And yeah, TantrumCon got on my radar last year when a lot of the friends that I had made in the industry were talking about how great it was and how it's now one of the biggest up-and-coming cons. It's actually gotten to be, from what I understand here, it's number four. In the country is what I've heard. Whoa. Um, yeah, so it. people are saying, <laughs> from what I'm hearing, people are ranking it. You know, like Gen Con for the biggest, then you got Origins, and then it's either Pax or Tantrum is what people are saying. Wow. So you're up there in the top three or four is what I'm hearing. So congratulations that. on awesome. that. That's pretty awesome. So I have to go see for the first time myself. I'm going to be visiting next year or this year. So because th- yeah. when we release this, it'll be this year and we'll be coming up. So I that is literally. Great. Coming very, very soon for those who haven't got their tickets and their badges, please jump on it, see if there's still any still available and join us there. We've been we've been kind of doubling uh each year. So we'll see where it goes. I don't know that we 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 sold out at our venue last year. We didn't have any space left. Uh so we moved this year to a brand new space, which will again allow us to probably double our number of attendees that we can hold. We'll see if we max out the doors. But yeah, it's been it's been fast and furious and very, very exciting. Yeah, I'm in kind of a limbo state right now because I applied for a media badge, and, and Andrew did too. Andrew got his. I haven't been approved mine yet, <laughs> if I get approved at all. So I was like, well, maybe maybe, uh, maybe Monica is, is trying to say something. Oh, here she's holding out on you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I sh- so I'm holding out. I might be up there with all play. I, I know some people. I'll see if I can get you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm hurt, Will. <laughs> we I, when, when I first heard that, we just had a good laugh about it. But like, either way, we're, I'm going to be there no matter what. We are got yeah. our hotel book and For stuff sure. like yeah, that. Yeah. But here, here's why I think TantrumCon is so good. TantrumCon is actually my number three for as far as very conventions because packs. I've never been to Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, it's more like Gen Con. Gen Con's not even on my list because I've never been, and I have very little interest in going because it's so big. Mm. But besides that, the reason I think TantrumCon is so fun. And I was actually talking with Danielle Reynolds, chatting a little bit about yeah. it on Facebook today, is that I think what you guys have done is you've taken all the best parts of a big con and mixed it with the charm and hominess of a small con to like a really perfect mixture. Because you're in a big city, but Charlotte's not massive. Like it's not even really close to like like Columbus or even oh, not even yeah, close yeah, to Philly yeah. or Indianapolis. Yeah. But it's still big enough to where you feel like you're going somewhere and there's lots of options to like eat and hang out and do stuff. And the airport's nearby. But, you know, <laughs> the airport's not too far away. Um, but there's still some publishers. Like when I went a couple of years ago, it was Queen Games. They had they had Queen Games there and they had some, there was oh, Gamers, the, the Grand Gamers yeah, Guild and stuff like that. There, so, 25th Century was there. Bezier. Yeah, there were some bigger publishers there. And so you got that big publisher experience. I'm pretty sure this year is going to be a couple more big publishers from what I understand, yeah. but there's still those local publishers coming in, those local artisans who are coming in, 
and stuff like that. But it doesn't feel choking. Like you're not feeling like you're being choked inside and outside. So it's just it just feels good to go. It's my wife's favorite con as well because she doesn't like the big cons. She doesn't like feeling like she's being smooshed with board games and stuff like that. But it's just a great and I so like when you guys are doing this convention, what are you hoping to achieve with this four day four days of gaming? It sounds like we're pulling it off because that's actually exactly it. We uh, we enjoy the big cons because it's cool to be able to go and see all your friends in the industry, peoples that you only get to connect with at those events. And so getting some of those to come to the event is is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, we are really looking to create a fun experience. There's there's a lot of parts of Gen Con, like you said, that aren't fun, like trying to get through the hordes of people and trying to get and standing in line for a half hour for food. And like right. all those things are just inconvenient. And they take away from the fun. So we've done some things. One of my favorite things that we do is called our tournament meals, where we have ah, yes. where we have a meal that is a board game tournament. And so you come and you sit down at this table with a couple strangers and you eat a meal together and you actually, you know, get to hang out and get to meet some new people that you probably wouldn't meet otherwise. Those events are sponsored by board game publishers, and so they come and they teach the game. There's kind of no better way to learn a game than to have the publisher or the designer teach it to you. It always gives you the best experience. And then uh, we have, you know, after everybody's done playing, we have 20 copies of the game or whatever that we got to give away. So we give those either to the winner at the table or we'll do a raffle or we'll do something like that. And so you're going you're gonna to pay a little bit of money, but you were going to pay to eat food anyway. Uh, and yep. so now you get a meal and you get some friends and you get the chance to win a game and you get this, you know, hour of time where... You got to keep playing while you were eating instead of standing in line at the noodle shop at Gen Con for 45 minutes. And uh, we're just trying to create as many of those experiences as we can where it's it's fun to do it and be there. And I think it's working so far. So it's a, the goal is to, to create some really great times. What's really nice about it, too, is that it feels like a family con. Like lots of conventions. I'm not sure if you're doing this on purpose, but like lots of conventions, it feels like people with small children like me or lots of gamers. There's like some sort of stigma against them. Like they're trying their best to enjoy convention VR community, but they're dealing with kids. This actually feels like it's it's more family friendly. Why do you think that is? I've talked with a couple about this. Yeah, I think that is it is a goal, but it's really just the culture of who we are um, from the beginning. Tantrum House was come play games. Our kids are going to be running around in the background like maniacs, but and bring your kid if you want to, because uh, we're all going to have a good time playing games. And so. We have set up a kid, a pretty cool kids program. We call it the Treehouse. Chantel Du, one of our team members, uh, decks out one of the rooms in the hotel and makes it look like you're walking into a treehouse, which is pretty cool. And we have programs all day long. So uh, you can come and volunteer for a couple hours. And if you do that, then you can drop your kid off for a couple hours. And uh, we do crafts and games and, and they get to play in that space. And then uh, a couple of the games that they play, I don't know if this will be able to continue if we get more and more big, but they actually played... Um, Oh no! What's it called? Sus, where like the traders. Oh, Among Us. Among Us. Yeah, among yeah. Us. <laughs> they, yeah. they play a real <laughs> life version of Among Us, where she gives them tasks that they have to run out and do all over the exhibit hall, and then they all have T-shirts that match and show their color on it. And they're trying to, you know, one of them is a secret trader who's trying to get the other ones, and it's a blast. They love it. It's super fun. It does. Hmm. It does involve like kids running through the exhibit hall like maniacs for ten minutes during the game, but. Uh, it's one of the highlighted moments. And so far, our audience has been really cool with it uh, because, yeah, we are we want it to be a place where you can have family and have a great time. There's a lot of teenage kids that stay up all night long playing Werewolf, some of the social games. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully families will continue to enjoy 
uh, being able to come to it. We sell a family badge too, so that you don't have to buy full price badges for all any of your kids or whatever. It's one of the goals for sure to just keep it family friendly. Even like, uh, and not that he's even crazy, but like when Grant Lyon does his comedy show, mm-hmm. uh, we ask him, you know, let's, <laughs> let's keep it family friendly, and he has no problem with that. And the dude's hilarious either way. So yeah, yes, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a really really good time for everybody. Okay, so now let's. I want to shift towards Tantrum House now. Yes. Okay. So for because so, there's lots of media companies out there, and I, I think Tantrum House is one of the more prolific ones. What what do people people who maybe have not experienced Tantrum House? What do you got? What's kind of your mo- your your mission? What do you do? What kind of games do you review? Because like sometimes like some channels have like, hey, this person does heavy games. Yeah, yeah. So I would say first off, we do it for ourselves because it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we really could kind of care less what other people think. Although we like that they like our stuff, we are, are just a good group of friends who we all fortunately live in the same town together. All of us have kind of our own uh, skills and gifts and uh, things that we enjoy. And in addition to that, we all kind of also have our favorite types of games too. So mm-hmm. most of us are pretty omni gamer types where we can sit down and play anything. But there's definitely some people in the crew who like. RPGs and fantasy games more, and other, and I'm like the party fan. I'm looking for the a, a crazy experience. Let's talk about it for two days afterwards, and and mm-hmm. you know get loud and fun. <laughs> and uh, because of that, uh, and because of really the abilities that we have, uh, you know, I'm a graphic designer. Melissa's a writer. You know, Kevin's a performer and a teacher, and, and has the ability to speak well and things. And so we kind of are able to just synchronize all of our stuff across the board. And so, you know, I'm making the, the graphics and the videos and somebody else is starring in them and Ryan's doing all the technical stuff. And so uh, we're able to work together to be pretty prolific. But it's really just like, hey, Thursday night, let's get together and play a game. Oh, well, there's a new game on Kickstarter that, you know, they'd be cool with showing, having it, sending us a copy so we can show it off for them. And so we end up covering a lot of stuff pretty regularly because since there are so many of us in town, local, uh, somebody's always up for shooting something or making something so we're able to produce a lot of stuff with a lot of people and uh, hopefully keep that quality pretty high because of uh the standards we've kind of set for ourselves so there's a lot to unpack there but uh, i think (laughs) one of the keys to success is to be an authentic self right to to be who you are and do the things that you do and use the skill sets that you have and let the people come to you right like don't try to be something for every single person don't try to be vanilla and bland be your authentic self and let that shine. And then people who are attracted to that will come to you. And it sounds like you're doing great. I I hear a lot of people saying good things. Uh, I mean, I recognized your team before I even knew about the channel uh, because you guys are prolific and doing all sorts of content and then cross promotion and stuff like that. And so um, congratulations. You guys seem to be doing a really good job and really doing very well. And of course, I think Kickstarters are the ones that need the most help. So maybe that's a great place to start too for those people who are looking to, you know, maybe start a channel or start to do some things. Find people who need the help and then go about helping them. And of course, that's what the community is all about as well. I think that, you know, Josh and I started this to in order to interview and meet cool people and help get, you know, more ears and more people to know about more cool things. So it sounds like you did the same thing to start. So we're on the same page and it's great too. Yeah, yeah, it's been a really great time. We, um, we've been really blessed. I think that's really just kind of what it boils down to. We, a lot of us are in positions where we have jobs that allow us a lot of free time and flexibility, and so we've got the the resources necessary to put things together. And then, yeah, it's it's really rewarding to be able to 
uh, see people bring an idea. I mean, I think we all love that Kickstarter idea, right? Like I, I hold myself up for my bootstraps and I built something cool and I put it out there for people and they, they liked it and they supported uh-huh. it. It's, it's been changed by different <laughs> companies over time, but um, being able to help those first time creators is really cool. And then, um, and then the companies that have been doing it and are, are using it and are, are still using it. Um, for us, I mean, it, that's where they started. So it's not like they have to abandon the platform or anything like that. But maybe that's a whole other conversation. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys do podcasts, review videos, Kickstarter previews, game. You do sometimes you even do game shows. What is your, what is Will Meadows' favorite content to produce? Ooh, interesting. Um, I like the live shows that we do. I very much enjoy, we do a Saturday morning board game show on the first Saturday of every month on our YouTube channel. And we, everybody just brings like the two or three games that they've been playing for the month that they think are cool and worth showing off. And we all get together. We literally like that morning, just whiteboard it out. Like, okay, Will's going to talk about this one. Kevin's going to talk about this one. Melissa's talking about this one. Sarah's got this one. And then we go live and we literally spend like 10 minutes talking about the game. And while we're talking about it, the other, whoever's going next is behind us at the other table setting up their game. And so as soon as we finish it, we're like, all right, well, let's head over to the table, see what they're looking at over there camera swaps to the table and then everybody at the couch you know clears off the game that they've just talked about puts on the next one and we just kind of enter sometimes we're introducing each other to the game for the first time which is kind of fun too and if it's a short and a fast game we'll play it if it's a drawing game we'll definitely make jonah draw on camera because he's the worst at it <laughs> a great time and he, he's a good sport and uh yeah it's a really fun time and we've got a we've got a core audience that shows up every saturday for those things and it's really fun to be able to chat with them and see what they're doing in the comments. And then there's always new people, of course, tuning in as well. And uh, it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite ones. We eat some donuts beforehand, do the show, eat lunch together as a group. Uh, always it's a plus. Just, yeah. It's fun. It's a really great time. Well, awesome. Well, my instruments are going crazy. We are about ready to take off. So let's head to our pre-launch and talk about what we've been playing recently. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. So I've recently found a game. It's a dice game. It's called Martian Dice. And this game is not deep. It's not complex. But why is it so fun? Like you just, you throw a bunch of dice and you see what's there. And then the idea of this one is that you're the Martians and you're trying to abduct people, cows, and chickens. Cows, I remember this. Yeah. So you roll, roll the dice and then the tanks are automatically against you. And you have to have more Martians than tanks by the end of your rolls. Um, but in between, you're also trying to abduct things. So if I roll, you know, three tanks and four Martians and three cows and a person, I have to choose which of those categories I'm going to take. The, the, the army guys already fill in. They're automatic and you can't do anything about them. You just have to have more of your guys than theirs. So I might take the four Martians, but I might also go, maybe I'll get those Martians later on. And I'll take the three cows right now, right? Like so, but at the end of the finishing rolls, you have to have more Martians than army guys. And that's it. That's the whole game. But you get bonuses if you can abduct all three. So if you can get a cow, a sheep, and a, a chicken, and a human, you get three extra points. It's like the first of 21. It's super simple, but for whatever reason, it's so much fun to throw those dice and see what comes up and then make a decision about what you're going to abduct. So that's what I've been playing lately. Recommended. It's more fun than it should be. Will, what have you been playing? Uh, So yeah, we were just talking about those live playthrough experiences. We just last night, now granted this will be a month ago by the time you watch this, but we got to play the new Firefighters on Duty 
Uh, it's mm. a Kickstarter coming from Artipia Games. They're already funded, so I'm not gonna you're not gonna be sad if you don't uh, get to try this one out. You should get to try it out. It's a it's a great time. It's a it's also a dice chucker. It's a real time save the city that's burning down as firefighters game, and it's cooperative. Okay. So you're all working together, and you're trying to put out fires. You're trying to load your truck with water. You're trying to chop down doors with your axes. There's all mm. these like different hazards and things that come up, and you might have to cut the power to the city block before you can enter an area or clear some debris. You have six two-minute rounds to do it in, and all of those two-minute rounds are crazy frantic. Just roll dice, move truck, roll dice, move firefighter, roll dice, move injured person, roll dice, put out fire. And then at the end of the round, you check to see, like, did we have any casualties? Has anybody left in a fire? <laughs> if you have casualties, you immediately lose. So there are lots of ways to lose the game. Areas of the city can burn down if too much fire uh, gets into their space. You've got uh, scenarios that you're playing with, and so you've got different goals you're trying to achieve each time you play it. And it's uh, it was fun. It also felt some of those times some games that are real time dice chuckers are just like crazy chaos. This mm-hmm. one is that, but then in between each round, you can kind of sit down and strategize with your team. Like, all right, you've got to go over here. We got to save that guy. I'm going to work on getting the fire out because I got water still in my truck. But you're going to have to come in and save the people because you're driving the ambulance car, you know, or whatever. And mm-hmm. It felt nicely strategic in between rounds, crazy frantic and exciting during the rounds, and then super relieving when you survived <laughs> the round and got to move on to the next level. Um, it was good. It was a really good time. I enjoyed it a lot. Nice. That does sound like fun. Josh, what have you been up playing? I got a chance to break out, finally, after a year of sitting on my shelf, My City, which is a Reiner Knizia game produced by uh, ooh, Cosmos. Cosmos is the name of the company. Um, this is a legacy game where you are placing polyominoes on a board. And it's basically like you're flipping cards. The cards tell you what piece to play. Mm-hmm. You put the piece on the board, and that's how it starts. Extremely simple. But as you play the game, you open up different envelopes. It adds more and more rules and more complexity to the game. And I got to tell you, I absolutely love it. This is a... I mean, Rhino Knizia can barely do wrong in my book. I know he has some bad games out there, but like, <laughs> this is not one of them. This is... Uh, just the simplicity of, you know, how this game introduces you to a very simple concept of just placing polyomino pieces on their board. And if you lose the game, you usually get a benefit in the form of a sticker you place on your board. If you win the game, you actually get like a like some sort of deterrent, like either a rock or something on your board that makes it more difficult. Those decisions are agonizing, and I didn't realize until after I placed my sticker. And I was like, ah, why did I do that? I'm an <laughs> idiot. Because as the game progresses, it get, they're adding more and more ways to score more and more restrictions and limitations. I don't want to spoil anything in case people still play it because My Island just came out. It's a good time to visit my city if, you know, you want to get into My Island because My Island is ah, chef's kiss, magnificent. Mm. I love it. I love Pyomino games and this is probably, it might, this Barrel Mel might be Isle of Cats is my favorite Pyomino game because I've loved Isle of Cats for a long time. It's just so good. Rainer Knizia is a genius. I can't wait to try My Island after I finish this one. But that was uh, My City. Either you tried this one out. Yeah, so I own My City. I've only ever played Scenario 1. I have not yet opened up the envelopes. because Gosh I kind dang of, it, Andrew. I kind of just like the basic. Like I like it as it is. It's very fun. I recently tried out the My Dice version of that one, which is interesting because you do not have guaranteed polyominoes coming out. So it's harder to plan ahead for specific spots. There's no possible way to do that. 
But I think these are really good games, highly recommended. And one and one of these days, I'm going to open some envelopes. But for right now, I have it. What about you, Will? The funny thing is, I'm in the same boat. I've only played the first scenario of my city. However, I have. Gosh dang it, Will! I have played. Uh, I think ten to twelve of the scenarios in my island. Oh, it is great. I do enjoy it. You said Chef's Kiss. Have you played it yet, or are you hoping to? I've. I'm hoping to play my island. I said Chef's Kiss for um, my my city, but my island. I was hesitant because it's hexes, and I although I like hexes, hex polygonal games. I'm like maybe, but you know, I I've been seeing some good things about it, and with how good my city is. I'm much more inclined now to jump into it. I'm going to be touring Cosmos at PAX here, so maybe I can pick up a copy there. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, my island is great. I think you would very much enjoy it. We haven't finished it yet, but it's it's added some really great things. Again, don't want to spoil anything. Uh, it. What's very funny about the game is that there are some parts at the beginning of the game where it's kind of like, oh, I really wish I could do this. And then they hold it out on you for like six rounds. And then you're like, ah, finally, I've been waiting. Get it. It's crazy. That's the funny thing about this. Like we always say like no spoilers when it comes to legacy games, mainly because of the story. But like this has no story. Like that's what I laugh so hard. Like the, the, the theme of this game, if there is a theme, like it's like two sentences. It's just like <laughs> you arrive to new land and you start building houses. Yeah. Uh, my island's a polyomino castle. <laughs> it's like, uh, at least they're honest. Like, they know there's no theme to this game. It's just a puzzle. So, yeah. Like, when we say spoilers, the mecha- mechanisms in this game really start amping up frustration and stuff. Right. Yeah. So, yep. that's uh, My City, designed by Renner Knizia and produced by Cosmos. Gents and friends, we are ready. My instruments say we are safe to go down, so let's head into our dive. steering wheel, the helm, or whatever we use to drive this thing is yours. Alright, so TantrumCon is an idea. We had a local library game day. A bunch of people showed up for it. We were like, oh, this might have legs. Maybe we do an actual couple day event, you know? And so we start planning for it, and as I'm pitching this idea to people, just we want to do a big, you know, TantrumCon event where everybody can come and play games and we'll do some neat extra stuff besides just play games. The first, I guarantee, the first five people that I told this idea to all made the same exact comment. Oh, what are you guys going to do? Are you going to, like, flip tables or what? And the first three people that said it, I was like, (laughs) by the time the fourth person said it, I was like, we are. (laughs) I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what the plan is going to be. We are going to flip tables at this thing. It's going to be crazy. Give the people what they want. Right. As soon as I started telling people that, they were like, that's when they started getting excited. And they were like, we want to come. I don't know what it looks like. Let's flip tables. I'm I'm not really a procrastinator normally, but I just didn't know what a table flipping event should look like. And so in the weeks leading up to this convention, everybody else on the team is like, have you figured out what you're going to do for the table flip part? And I'm like, it's on the schedule for five o'clock. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so we had a couple guests who showed up that first year. Uh, good friends, really pumped that they were able to make it. Uh, Derek and Lizzie Funkhauser were among those peoples. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, man, instead of, originally I thought like I was going to flip the table or I don't know what I thought was going to happen. But when I got there, I was like, hey, would you be interested in doing a table flip? And he was like, of course I would. <laughs> what does that mean? And I was like, I don't know, I'll figure it out really quick. Hold on. And uh, also there were Tony and Marty from Rolling Dice and Take Names, their podcast. And uh, so I, I drugged them in as well. And so I said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to like, 
We're just going to announce that the show is starting. We're going to announce that you guys are guests. We're going to load the table up with copies of Monopoly because that's everybody's ready to flip that one. Absolutely. And, uh, and then we're gonna we're just gonna do a countdown, and you guys are gonna you know tip them over. I don't know. We'll see what happens. And so we somebody there was safety conscious. They were like, we should probably like make them wear safety glasses, or like should we have like a tape up to make sure people don't get in the way, you know? And we're just like literally making it up ten minutes before it happens. We clear the audience way back. We get them up there. They got their goofy looking safety glasses on. We just kind of went for it. It was like a three, two, one countdown. And on one, I yelled flip. Everybody in the audience went crazy, and Derek, who is a giant, picked yeah. this table up, threw it into the air. Like I, don't, I should have measured it. I want to say fifteen to twenty feet. It probably wasn't wow. that. Wow! But it was so high. Pieces are flying everywhere. Money is fluttering down. You know, houses are getting chucked everywhere. The little dog is getting you know shot in somebody's eye. He yelled with like great gusto, rah! you know, as he tosses the table. His table. I mean, it just it hit the ground, it crashed, it fell apart. Simultaneous to that, Tony and Marty are over here and they flipped their table and they did it in perfect synchronization. The table did a literal 360 and landed back on its feet, which has not (laughs) happened since. Um, It kind of just bounced. Everybody was kind of shocked that it happened. None of us knew what the proper response was. Everybody in the entire audience just goes crazy. Everybody's screaming, whoa, the lady! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the energy level was was exactly what I hoped it would be. We uh, we kind of stood in shock for a minute, just looking at this monstrosity that we had accomplished. Pieces are scattered all over the floor. I was like, you know, round of applause, everybody. That was amazing. Everybody claps. And I was like, whose do we like better? And I pointed to Derek, and everybody went crazy. And then I pointed to Tony and Marty, and there was a pause for a minute. And then we looked at the table still standing there, like it was ready to go for round two. Everybody went crazy again. We didn't. I don't even think we awarded a winner the first year. We just clapped. It was a great time. It was super fun. <laughs> and this made-up moment has has turned into our annual table flipping tournament. And so now we do it every night of the convention. We have special guests to jump up on stage. Last year, we allowed audience members to compete in a trivia-based contest. So we used ah. like vote in on your phone, and the top three winners are going to come up on stage. They came up on stage. They competed in another. Like minute to win it style dexterity game mm-hmm. and then two people went on and they got to flip it and i, I think they flipped with like daryl andrews and ted uh, oswald from bezier and we we make a show out of it each night and it's gotten bigger and better every time we got countdown clocks we got the slow motion i'm hoping this year this is uh this is kind of top secret because it may not work <laughs> i'm trying to set up the instant replay slow-mo cam this year yes yes because the best part of the show is actually watching the video afterwards like of all the slow motion we always do like a promo video for TantraCon, and the main part of that video is the slow motion recap of everybody chucking these tables and pieces going everywhere and uh, i'm hoping that i can get it set up this year so that we can watch it right after it happens uh so that we can see it in action and then you can also see it slow-mo uh it'll be, it'll be a great time always one of my favorite experiences super super good I think all of us are also hoping, hoping that that happens because that sounds amazing to be able to get the instant gratification of the quick turnaround and be able to see, you know, the red houses flying in this direction and the hotels going in this direction and like just the slow. That'd be amazing. So, yeah, I hope so, too. So this is an important question then, Will. In your myriad of experiences watching these tables flip, what makes a game flippable at a table? (laughs) So... We kind of just keep it 
We've done Monopoly almost every year because everybody at the event can usually agree that we're safe to flip that. We did have a sponsor one year and we flipped his game, which was nice of him to let us do, but it was kind of like, why are we flipping your game? We (laughs) we should just stick to Monopoly. What I will say, though, is I got to flip the tables. So I think this is our sixth year doing TantraCon. And last year I was like, I've had enough. I'm flipping one. It's my turn. I get to do this. Maybe it was two years ago. Oh, no. Can't keep straight the date. I think it was two years ago. Uh, me and Sarah flipped one table against Jonah and Chantel and flipped the other table. And we have determined that the best show is height. So some people toss it out as far as they can. Some people, we've actually allowed, one year we did like a stack of all your game components as tall as you can on the table. We'll like give you a bonus point for who, who stacks their game higher. And it does look more entertaining and, and on the table. But the height of the toss is the key. If you can chuck that thing over your head. <laughs> so you have another story too, as well that we want we want to talk. I would I would love to more go in more about this because it's one of my favorite parts of Tantricon too. But you have another story you wanted to share as well. So tell us about that. One. Oh, okay. So this is a funny one. You mentioned at the beginning that uh, that I did design a game. <laughs> this is what got us into the industry. Uh, we only printed. I mean, it was a small print run. This was early. Uh, in the Tantrum House career, we I, I had been playing a game for a long time, and I finally got some art put onto it, and we decided, let's try it on Kickstarter and see what we can do. So we published this game, and I mean, it's been, I don't know, you looked up the date, you probably know more than I do, eight, nine, ten years ago. 2016 was the release 2016, date. going on ten years, getting here close, three years. So we got seven years ago. And uh, I was at an event, I think it was actually our community game night, local community game night, and we had all the games out on the table. And the way we do our community game night is we just make a giant stack. Everybody who comes in can contribute to it if they want. And then uh, pick one. If you don't know how to play it, somebody there probably does and they can teach it to you. Or you can bring your game and teach it to other players at the, at the game night. And I had a guy show up. Had never met him before. He walks into the room. And it was obvious that he wasn't like a super mega gamer. Uh, didn't recognize really anything on the table. But then he got strangely excited. And he was like, oh. Oh, I love this game. I, 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 my best friend plays this game all the time. We like at Thanksgiving. It's like our annual tradition. It plays up to twelve players, so we can get everybody around the table, and it's like super fun. Has anybody here played this game? And several of us kind of, you know, raise our hand and smile. It's the game that me and Ryan had designed. And uh, he's like, I, didn't, I, I never see this game anywhere. It's so cool that it was here. And uh, and I, I, my, I can't believe my friend introduced me to it. And I said, Oh, what's what's your friend's name? And he was like, Oh, you would never know him. He's, uh, he lives up in Maine, and you know he's been up there for like five or six years. And I was like, oh, Matthew? And he, I literally blew his mind. Like, he thought I had <laughs> ESP. Like, I, this guy has telekinetic ability, tele-something, whatever that ability is. <laughs> he can read my mind. Because how in the world did he know my friend who lives in Maine? And I said, well, it's because I designed the game. And that blew his mind a second time. Like, oh, okay, he knows it. That's how, okay, it makes some sense. And then to realize that he had, I mean, I remember this the first time I met a game designer for a game mm-hmm. that I enjoyed. It was yeah. like, whoa, you're like a real person in real life. I thought you were just like a machine robot, you know, somewhere that churned these things out or something. I don't know. And so I had a great conversation with the guy. Really good time. I was super flattered that he enjoyed the game. Uh, it was, I mean, it's, we printed eight, 900 copies of this game total. So nobody has played this unless you were part of that Kickstarter backer group originally. Right. And so the fact that he had even heard of it was cool. I was honored. He was honored that he got to meet me. Um, and it was it was really fun. We played the game that night. I designed it, you know, seven years ago. I don't actually play it very often anymore. 
And so it was a great excuse to be able to pull it out on the table and, and to play with the guy. But the look on his face when I knew his friend's name in Maine <laughs> and he had not put together the pieces yet was super funny. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there on a number of different levels. One, it's awesome you designed a game because I know what an accomplishment that is. I still don't have my first game on a, sh- on a shelf or out there yet. So that's a whole other thing. The fact that you got it introduced out into the world and you've got a piece of history, essentially, of your personal history, but still, like it's out there in the world is such a great feeling. It's such a cool thing. And then for someone to recognize the work that you put into it, because I know exactly what it takes to design a game and it's not a small amount. It's not a small feat. So for someone to recognize it and then also appreciate the work you put into it, that's got to be a great feeling on top of it. And then on the other side, yes, of course, to meet the person who designed a game that you love is also such a cool experience. And it's not that I think that they're robots or out in the world or whatever, like maybe you do, but still, it's just the small likelihood of ever meeting that person in real life that isn't it's just so astronomically small unless you go to a specific game night. Like it, it's just such a small coincidence and such a cool thing. And yeah, that's amazing. It's wonderful. Now, the biggest question I had to ask is, if you were to re-release that game, what changes would you make to that game? What would you update? What would you make different? Yeah, so the game is a 1 to 12 player trick-taking, ladder trick-taking game. It's kind of mm-hmm. like President or Tichu, maybe, if you played any of those games. Sure. Uh, but it's set in a steampunk world, and so all the characters are steampunk characters, and they each have a unique power. So each seat that you sit in is going to give you a different ability in the game. And then in this game, because the idea is that it's a social mixer game, you actually switch seats depending on how well you did in the game. And so if you okay. go out first, if you're able to get rid of all your gear cards first, you become the engineer to the queen, you get all of her luxuries. And whenever I played this game originally, which is like a deck of cards back in the day, we would actually have the tables set up so that like the queen's seat was like the luxury recliner with the foot mm. massager and the and the nuts and the drinks, you know, beside her at the table. <laughs> and the the tea boy, who was like the servant to the queen, the lowest at the table, he had to sit on a bucket and his job was to like <laughs> shuffle the cards for everybody and pass them out and deal them and take everybody's discarded cards. So that experience is what I was trying to create in this game. Right. And I think I got pretty close. We really ended up cutting costs a lot because when we, as I mentioned, we didn't fund the first time we didn't, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have an audience. We didn't try to do any marketing. We just kind of put it on Kickstarter and thought if you build it, they will come. When we came back the second time we had a lower price. We worked hard to, to do the marketing for it and stuff. However, when we did cut the costs to give us a lower goal, mm-hmm. we did end up not really cutting quantity or quality corners. That's a word. Uh, but we did cut a couple things out of the game. We made the box a lot smaller. We ended up using uh, like cardboard tokens. My goal had been to the tokens in the game track how many tricks you've taken or what order you went out in. Mm-hmm. And it'd be great if they were metal gears. Like there's, I would mm-hmm. just. I would do a deluxified <laughs> version of it, basically, if I was coming back. It'd be a bigger box, more cards, the gears would be nicer, and uh, the whole thing would just be, like, the deluxe edition. I also did release, we did, like, an expansion card, so we could make it a 14-player game. So, yeah, there's that's, that's plenty of things that we could do to give it the full box experience, but, but it's a fun game out of the box. I still, every time I play it, it I'm reminded of, like, oh, yeah, this is, this is an enjoyable time. 
I can't imagine what the cost is to include an actual throne in the game and then an actual bucket. <laughs> like that would just be hard to to imagine. And what kind of size box you'd need for that? Is it like an IKEA <laughs> throne? You got to put it together. Oh, there we go. That's How a great does idea. that work? That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I think even promoting that experience, like I didn't explain that in the rules or anything like that. Um, so encouraging people to deck it out is probably the the next. So from 10 years ago when you first started Tantrum House to designing your own game to having people recognize you and like recognizing your game in public, the table flipping stuff at Tantrum Con, how has your perception of the hobby and board game in general changed from just a normal gamer who loves games with your wife and just trying to have a good time, you know, their kids are screaming, kind of where I am right now, to <laughs> being a very, I will say, a very influential voice and basically entity in the board game industry. How's that perception or that your feelings towards the hobby change? I definitely grew up playing all of those mass market games. And I I really didn't assume that people were even behind them. Like I assumed it was a team of marketing people somewhere that had put together this monopoly board and, and, you know, put out a million red houses or whatever. And so when I started getting into the hobby, which, you know, can't do the normal channels of playing settlers of Catan and ticket to ride, and just kind of experiencing some of the newer games, I thought that was pretty cool. I'm a, my background is in graphic design. That's what I went to school for. And so the thing I appreciated most was just like, wow, this Ticket to Ride map is really interesting compared to a lot of the, you know, compared to Checkers and whatever else, all these other games that are out there that aren't actually attractive. You know, there's right. 30 million versions of Monopoly, but I didn't actually really picture like the people behind it. I just assumed it was put another NASCAR skin on it, you know, or whatever. And so to get into the industry, uh, to run into, uh, we're lucky we get to live in the same town as Richard Lanius. And so he was one of the first board game designers that I met in person. And to hear his story and to just see like, you know, oh, this he's a graphic designer. He was just a regular guy working for, um, you know, the phone company or something, I think, originally. And had this idea for a game and he put it out and he made it happen. And now he's like retired and he just makes games. That sounds great. Yeah, right. <laughs> And that was kind of one of the things that I had always grown up wanting to do anyway. My dad was big on like, you find something that you love to do, then you're not going to feel like you're working. You're going to feel like you're doing stuff that you love. And so uh, we enjoyed the board game thing. Both of us, my wife and I both grew up playing board games. It was something we had in common from the very beginning. And then uh, finding new friends who had that same hobby, uh, it just became a whole lot more personal over the years. And so... As I said, like now I, I, I see tons of board game designers all the time and I recognize their names and their faces and we've, we've eaten dinner together. You know, like I have relationships with these people who when I walk through the target aisle, I can identify, oh, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this lady, I know this artist, I know this whatever. And uh, that's that's really been super neat. And then I actually don't even really realize it, I guess, because you kind of mentioned it. And then this friend who saw the game, like, I guess I'm to a certain extent, I'm a little bit in that myself. Like people do see us at events and they come up and say hi and they want to greet us and they feel like they know us, which I think is super cool. It's a really, really cool experience to just be able to do something that's that's really so much fun with a group of people that are so, you know, that are here for the same reasons. And it's become a, it's not quite family level. I won't go that far, but uh, it's, a, it's a much deeper level than just like there's a strange robot that makes games. Like, it's really, really fun to be able to have input into these things, especially on the Kickstarter front. A lot of people do look to us for advice and suggestions, and they want us mm-hmm. to play test and get help on their stuff. And 
uh, it's really neat to be able to speak into that intelligently and to actually offer help and, and, and then see these people grow. One of my favorite things is when we do a Kickstarter for a company that we've never heard of and they, they put out their first game and it's not great. And, you know, we'll try to, maybe you should try this or have you thought about this or why, why are players being eliminated on round two? You should probably remove that from your game, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then to see them three or four years later coming back to Kickstarter with their second or third game. And now it's like, oh, this is a real like, a game. They hired yes. you know, industry artists and like they're crushing it now. That's super cool to know that we, you know, maybe had a little bit of a, a little helping hand in that early in the game. So it's, it's cool to be able to see it grow. So what is, so now that you're kind of like, quote unquote, in the industry, what is, what is the one thing about the industry that you think people like me, like the layman gamer, as a terrible term, but I'm using like the normal gamer, what's the greatest thing you think they maybe don't understand about it? That you think they should know. Oh, I got one for you for sure. So board game conventions can be kind of intimidating. They're big. There's mm-hmm. lots of people there. It's kind of crazy. I know plenty of people who are like, yeah, I wish I could go to a board game convention, but I just can't really afford the hotel or the travel or the whatever. And the thing that I have been uh, delighted by is getting to a board game convention is much easier than you may think it is um, because all the publishers that are out there are looking for demoers of their games at the event. And so if you're willing, and now granted, not everybody has the personality to teach games and, and things like that, but yeah, if you, if you like a game and you know how to play it and you're willing to teach it, getting a spot as a volunteer at a board game publisher's booth is surprisingly easy. Uh, most people, most publishers have their marketing guy listed on their website. And all you got to do is send that guy an email and say, hey, uh, I don't know if you have any spots left on your team, but I'm interested in volunteering for Origins next year. What do you think? I would say 90% of the time you're going to get a seat <laughs> at the table because they're always looking for people who are excited. They're always looking for people who are enthusiastic about their product. Yeah. And it's never easy to find all the seats that you need to fill. I've run a couple board game booths for companies um, as you know, part of the freelance gig that I got going on. And I'm always looking for demoers who are willing to, you know, like, I'm not going to pay you to come to the event, but if you get here, I'll give you a hotel room. I'll give you a badge. I'll give you something to do all week. I'm going to give you an armload of games at the end of the week to take home with you because I can't sell them anyway. They were opened. And it's it's just a really fun thing to do. And I've introduced that to a number of people. So I'll run into a random guy who's like, oh, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, if you really wish it, send me an email. I'll hook you up. Right. Like It's not hard to get a seat at the table. And it's a great way to be able to pay for the event. I mean, we we don't get paid to go to these conventions unless mm-hmm. we are helping a company or demo form or working or doing something like that. And uh, it's just a really great way to be able to fund the hobby, put a little bit of work in a couple hours of demoing a day, and you're going to get a really cool experience out of it. I'll piggyback on top of that and say, hey, even if you don't have a publisher you're specifically passionate about, go ahead and reach out to the convention themselves. They need people to take tickets and hand out badges and work security or whatever. I mean, there's setup and takedown that needs to happen and stuff like that. So there are plenty of other ways you can volunteer, even if you know your favorite publisher says no because they've got enough people already. Well, you know, there's other ways you can find a way in. And I highly recommend that even if it's just, you know, the one closest to you, it doesn't have to be origins, have to be a big one. It can be, you know, a small regional con. There are lots of little ones like, uh, you know, I'm here in Chicago. There's a couple ones just outside of Chicago. There's like polar vortex coming up and stuff like that. So that's a small one. So start there and see what you can do. And I feel like really and truly when you go to these conventions, I actually think it's better than your local board game night, not just for the access to people and the different stuff like that. But I think 
even in a local board game night, you can find yourself frozen out because people know all the people they know and they're they're going to play with people they know and they don't really want to add new people in. I think at these conventions, they're more open to people who are just wandering around and just looking for something to do. They'll call you over rather than you having to force your way in or wait for a spot to open up. So I recommend these conventions even more so than your local game night. Yeah, I didn't mean to set that up as a pitch for TantrumCon. However, let me get one in there real quick. Yes, we actually have, yeah, go for it. We go have for it. a volunteer tab on our TantrumCon webpage. So if you go to TantrumCon.com and hover over the little top nav, whoop, volunteer pops up right there and you can fill out the form and get yourself in there. Depending on the number of hours you want to work for and demo for, uh, depends on the reward that you get or whatever. But uh, yeah, a lot of them are set up like that. We, we need help to run the show because we can't do everything all the time. And we are looking for people who want to come and have some fun. So. To round out this conversation, I want to just ask one quick question you can answer really briefly. With conventions and demoers and stuff, when you're going to these big conventions, what is what is a publishing company's booth that you look forward to most visiting? Oh, man. That yeah. is a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me, let's evenly distribute the love here. Let's see. Yeah, he's uh, making friends and enemies on this answer. Go ahead. <laughs> right, right. A uh, couple favorites are... Uh, Renegade Game Studios. So they were one of the first companies that we demoed for where they allowed us to come teach games to their booth and, and invited us into the show. And that's a big company. So it's not like you're, you know, when we first did it, we weren't big names. We didn't have any connections. We just, they were looking for volunteers. We were able to go with them. And that led to other cool opportunities. Our first Essen trip uh, in Germany was with Renegade. They were, they gave wow. us a room and, and hooked us up over there. So so yeah, that's that's always a fun one. I always love to go, to go see you know who's still demoing there, uh, who, you know some of their staff and stuff like that. Uh, I also always love any booth that has like you know they're just decked out to the nines. Everdell, uh, Starlight Games, whatever they're. I think I just said the name wrong, but uh, their booth is always <laughs> beautiful. Giant ever tree in the middle, mm-hmm. you know, yep. fences around it. it. Like it's cool to just see how far they've gone to to promote this game. So I always like a booth that is not just a booth. Uh, and then, of course, I do also got to share some love for Genius Games. Uh, I've known John for years and years and years, and his is actually the booth that I've run a couple times in the past. So uh, he's given us the opportunity to, to just hands me the reins and says, here, run the booth, teach the games, have some fun. And so I've worked with him uh, at a number of different events, and I always look forward to to his team of people and to their games are some of the coolest games in the industry. They're science, hard fact, knowledge-based games that are actually super fun to play board games as well. I think he's got a unique thing going on over there. So I could list a hundred more. Game Poppers is always a favorite one as well. I mean, there's so <laughs> so many great booths that I always try to hit. Get little Berkey. Yeah. When we go to different shows. So. Now, which one do you absolutely hate? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Easy. That one is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, my instruments say we've been down here for quite a while in this, you know, this tantrum house C. Let's go ahead and put our sonar on and see what's in our future. We are on our sonar. We're going to talk about games we're looking forward to playing. I want to hear about this game because it's one I've been looking forward to play myself, but I haven't had any plans to actually get it quite yet. So go ahead and take this away. Yeah, so in the very opening, you app, you uh, welcomed Roland Writers to our show, and I appreciate that because this next one is Hadrian's Wall, the flip and write. So yeah, this one is one I actually have pulled off the shelf at my game store, looked at several times, and then put back only because I found something else I wanted more. 
but this one has been you on my radar wrong. for so long. I probably am. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, this one just showed up on Board Game Arena. So now I can try it. And then I'm sure I'm going to buy it directly after that. But now I get to at least try it first. So this one's on my radar. I'm very much looking forward to that. And I'm glad it gets his seal of approval from Will as well on top of that. Will, what are you looking forward to playing? Well, I want to play Hadrian's Wall again now that you said it, but <laughs> it's so good. Man, like it's a top 10 for me. Hadrian's Wall is amazing. Wow. What makes it so good? Well, it's a roll and write, which I enjoy them in general. It's mm-hmm. probably the heaviest roll and write that I've ever played. Yeah. There's so many things in it. And then one of my favorite things in the game is just that if you do it right, you're going to be able to like build in a box here, which will unlock a box over here. And you can move a guy over here, which will unlock a box over here. And there's these really, really satisfying chain engine building type feeling things that it. it's a really satisfying experience to be able to just cover your paper with marks on one. One of the games that I'm excited about playing is called Perspectives from Space Cowboys. Uh, I haven't had a chance to try it yet. Kevin from our team got to play it and he was hyping me all up on it. It's the type of game where you uh, work as a team to solve a mystery, a crime. Everybody gets a hand of cards that they're dealt. I think there's like four or five different scenarios in the box and you are Basically, you're just holding a hand of cards and seeing what you can observe from your hand and communicate with other people at the table. And so it might be like, hey, you guys, according to this one picture, at 3 p.m., which is what they hate on this clock show, there's a letter on this desk. And somebody else in the table is like, oh, I have a picture of a letter on a desk and it's addressed to so-and-so. Oh, I have a Hmm. profile on so-and-so. And so everybody's working together. You're just talking through it. You're not allowed to show each other your cards. Um, I don't know all the details. I don't know the scenarios. I haven't played the game yet, but it just seems like a really clever idea. Uh, I enjoy those types of games where you have to be observant of what is going on in other places in the game. Right. And so you're trying to remember stuff. You're trying to take notes. You're trying to solve the puzzle. And then you, of course, check at the end once you think you've got it figured out and you reveal whether you've done it and you move on to the next one. And it's just, it's got some pretty cool looking art in it. Uh, Vincent Dutre is one of the illustrators on oh. it. And it looks, it looks cool. It, it sounds like a fun time. So I'm looking forward to trying out Perspectives. Yeah, that does sound fun. And of course, Vincent Dutre can do no wrong in the art world. So yeah, Pretty if you've got that, if you've got that on the game, I'm interested automatically. So that's great. Josh, what have you been playing? I have been hammering away consistently at Sea Salt and Paper, uh, which is still my favorite game so far of 2023. Probably my contention for the best game of 2023. And they're coming off with a little expansion called Extra Salt. It's a little, little, it's a little thing that you tear open and add to the box. <laughs> I have no idea how they're going to do that because the box is so airtight. <laughs> but like, I, I, I don't know much about it except to add some extra cards. And I'm just excited about it because any extra cards a ways to score and sea salt paper is going to get me excited. I mean, at this point, I love the game so much. I said I've sleeved it. It's my, I bring with me in a in a deck box everywhere I go just to get it out and start playing with people. So good. I wish it, I wish people would play this with me more often, but that's, that's sea salt and paper extra salt. All right, Josh, I'll play with you at Tantrum Con. I'm bringing it with me to Tantrum Count Con. Count me in. I haven't, forced people. I haven't actually played you it yet. Play... No. Okay. <laughs> when you have time, we will sit down and we'll play sea salt and paper. Right. So good. It's so it. good. Sounds great. It's a plan. Just give me my, just give me my media badge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we have, we are, we kept you here long enough, though. Let's go ahead and shoot straight up to the surface, and we'll let you on your way. People want more Will Meadows in their life, 
or they want more tantric pond in their life, tantrum house in their life, what can they do? They can find us at tantrumhouse.com. That's where we post all of our newest videos. We're on YouTube. We've got the TikTok, the Facebook. The, I think we might even have Twitter. I'm pretty sure we have Twitter. I don't know. Instagram. You can pretty much find us on any platform. We also do have a podcast that comes out every other week. And then we would absolutely love to see you come to TantrumCon. You can find that at TantrumCon.com. Get your badges now. Maybe a media badge. We'll see. And uh, we'd love to be able to <laughs> hang out in person. That's really our favorite thing. If you're in the upstate area of Greenville, South Carolina, um, we do a monthly game night. So come out and hang out with us there. Uh, really, really good time. We enjoy teaching and playing and having fun. And uh, we'd love to do it with you as well. And what dates are TantrumCon again? TantrumCon is January 25th through the 28th, 2024. We'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've also noticed that you guys have t-shirts. So for those people who need clothing or gift ideas for Christmas or any other holiday coming up, recommend some t-shirts there too. Yeah, thank you. My wife hand screen prints those with love. So Wow. Well, again, Will, thank you so much for coming on today. As always, my name is Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Will. <laughs> and this has been the Tabletop Summary. <laughs> Great job, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the Tabletop Summary Podcast, please consider giving us five stars on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends, family, and other gamers in your life. See you on the next voyage.